0: I'm the cycling certified Cicerone, and in this podcast, we deep dive with brewers to get the inside scoop on business and beer right at the brewery. This week, I'm on my way to Great Falls, Montana for the Beer Bloggers Conference, and I figure I'll stop in Missoula somewhere along the way and grab a cold one. There's a lot of great breweries out in Missoula, Byron Brewery, Big Sky, Kettle House, just to name a few that you might have heard of, but today I'm at Great Burn. Great Burn on the recommendation of a friend. So, I'm chatting with Greg Howard, one of the brothers that founded the brewery. Of course, we get his story, the origins of the brewery, then we chat a little bit about beer, and as usual, we talk business for a bit as well. Plus, hit him with the classic lightning round questions. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. You might be able to tell that I'm using my travel recording setup I gave the one mic I had over to Greg, and you can hear me in the distance talking softly. I'm sure you won't miss my beautiful, sultry voice for the remainder of this interview, although you can kind of make it out just a little bit.
1: This is uh, Greg Howard with Grape Burn Brewing. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. So, probably the first microbrew that I ever drank was from Bridgeport Brewing, which I'm sad to hear that they've actually gone out of business. Huh. They are gone. I mean, that was obviously when I first started drinking it, that was a long time ago.
0: When did you decide you wanted to open a brewery? How long has this brewery been around?
1: We started in 2004. We opened our tap room.
0: Okay, that place. Is five place, years. Five times older than I thought it would be because all the breweries. I've oh, did I say
1: 2004? Yeah. 2014. Sorry. That tracks. We're only back. five years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have not been here that long. Yeah. There's a lot of story to how we got going here. There was actually three brothers. There's a middle brother named Chad. He passed away, but he was the guy that got my brother and I into craft beer. And he was a total Sierra Nevada Pale Ale nut. I mean, that was his go-to beer. And so I drank a lot of that. My brother, our brewer, he's been in the industry for 15, 20 years. When he was younger, in his 20s, he actually started working uh, here in town at some of the ones i have been around a while, Kettle House. From there to Bairn, and then he actually moved to California I was going to go to school to do the microbrewery school and I ended up getting a job at Stone. So he spent five years working at Stone Brewing and then he eventually made it back to Montana when my brother got sick and then he worked at several other breweries so he'd always kind of work at these folks, these places But in the back of his head, you know, wanted to have his own business and this place is essentially in memory of my brother that we lost.
0: Does his influence or, you know, his original dreams that shine through in any way here So how, how we currently are experiencing this place?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the name, Great Burn Brewing. My brother was uh, kind of a unique guy, type A sort of person, working for the Forest Service. And there's a Great Burn proposed wilderness, kind of west of here out in the mountains. They would fly him by helicopter, drop him off, and him and his partner would spend 10 days, like wandering around doing this special plots and studies for the Forest Service. Just so to
0: prevent per- forest fire and stuff?
1: They're looking at vegetation and firefighting recovery. I mean, the, the Great Burn itself, the, the original Great Burn, came through that area. It was a giant fire that covered thousands of acres and rolled through. I mean, you drove through Wallace today. It was way over there, but those little towns got burnt out. One of the guys, Bill Pulaski, invented the Pulaski that they still use today to fight fires. He, he was with a crew over in Idaho and they're out there in the middle of this fire and it started to like blow back on them and they ended up hiding in a old mine shaft. Part of his crew were going crazy because it was like full of smoke, you know, flames everywhere. And he held people at gunpoint in the mine so they wouldn't escape because anyone that would have left would probably have been dead. But outside of Wallace, there's a trail where you can hike up and actually go see that old mine shaft. Oh, no way. Which is super cool. And they've got some signage there where they kind of explain the whole story. Our ties to the great burn from my brother's work that he did in the proposed wilderness area. We have a local, uh, the Lolo National Forest here, and they've got a hotshot crew, which my brother worked on that for many, many years. So he was a firefighter. So that's kind of where the name came from and memory of his work he did there's still folks that worked on him with the crew that come in here and have beers the legend chet Hart. i have all these pictures of him he used to like carry just a disposable camera everywhere he went and he was he was always snapping photos so all the pictures you see on the wall with like the burning forest that's was taken by him where he was in the forest he spent a lot of time surrounded by fire
0: he brought the great he brought the name your other brother, what was his name? Mike. Mike. Mike Howard. Mike Howard brought the brought the brewing experience into yes. here. Yes. Uh, what do you bring to the table, Greg?
1: <laughs> My background. I'm a biologist. I went to the University of Montana. Have a botany degree. So I spent 25 years working for consulting firms, doing biology work related to mapping wetlands and identifying plants, botanical work, land restoration, a lot of fun stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of bring the technical side, I'm the general manager. I don't myself have too much to do with the brewing side. I kind of take care of everything else, bookkeeping, social media, all the number crunching, everything that kind of happens behind the scenes to keep this place running. We've essentially started with all used equipment so wow. we kind of had what they say is a a franken brew system going back there so the brew system came from webo our fermenters came from salmon river brewing out of mccall idaho used kettles from or Grundy's from kettle house here in town so we kind of scrapped everything together so we first got going there was some massaging to do to kind of get the system to work right. I bet
0: Montana has a good number of like weird rules, and Missoula specifically maybe like, so what are some of the weird rules they have out here that maybe make it harder for breweries to run? Or
1: maybe make it easier? We got plenty of rules. <laughs> Most unique thing is that we can only serve 40, 48 ounces per person. Really? We are limited to how much we can serve. Our pints are, our glasses are 12 ounces. So it feels like a pint, but actually yeah. you can have four of them. So a lot of other places will do three pints. We do for 12 ounces to get your 48 ounces. And we also have to be closed by 9 o'clock last call at 8 p.m. So they have an extra hour to finish. We make it on a limited number of hours per day. Bars do not. They have multiple or alcohol licenses. So we operate under what's a brewery permit. But then you have beer licenses, beer and wine, and full full beverage. Or, and they're, they're difficult to get. Like here in Missoula, to buy a full beverage is like three quarters of a million dollars I mean or even more than that I assume and even beer and wine licenses go for over a hundred grand easily but as a brewery owner we can't hold any other licenses our state has a group called the Montana Taverns Association and as you go around the state you'll probably hear everyone mention this they have a stronghold with our state legislature. and Years ago, they helped get these rules enacted, and it's been about impossible to change them. So the Tavern Association, because those folks have to buy their permits. They pay a lot of money for them. Our brewery permit didn't cost us very much, but we have a ton invested... the infrastructure and the equipment so I mean it did cost us a lot and also another thing tied to all this I don't know if they have gambling in Washington but taverns can have kino machines and gambling or breweries aren't associated with any of that. That was the silliest thing
0: I saw when we were driving in and passing by like to me seeing a liquor store slash casino that's weird. To me it makes sense you know you might as well allow it to happen like who cares and, uh, oh, they're they're everywhere. Yeah, they're, they're totally everywhere. That is so funny. What a strange, yeah. So you are just under like here, you craft beers under the heel of of like the, of the government or under the tavern association for sure. Do you guys have a, a craft beer guild co- or anything like that?
1: We do have a Montana uh, Brewers Association.
0: Okay, and I imagine it's a fairly small operation. Are
1: it is. It? We are not. Why not? And that is a whole nother story. No, uh, no. this is the place to go in. I don't know if I want to get into it in this. Oh, okay, okay.
0: Well, will you, will you tell me why you don't want
1: to get into it then? Uh, well, if people from that organization hear this, they're going to not be happy. But I don't really feel like they work for the small breweries.
0: You don't think? If if you think they don't. If you think they wouldn't be happy about that, to hear you say that, then that's why you should say it. Maybe they want to be helping small breweries more, and your opinion matters. They're they
1: trying. There's a lot of logistics about it. Um, I don't want to say they're not doing a good job. They're trying. They're yeah. trying real hard. but They eventually had to hire a lobbyist to run the organization and to tell, help try to fight off some of these crazy rules that they... Yeah. I mean what we have a we have a legislative session every two years every two years. somebody that's in the pocket of the tavern association will come up with some crazy rule that tries to make it even more difficult for the breweries. We were part of it, and then they upped our fees by a considerable amount that's not based on the volume that you produce, and so we ended up. Paying the same much as Cuddle House, Big Sky, all the big ones. Yeah, we at that of, point you're
0: just like, I'm out. I, I, I don't I can't afford this. I'm not seeing any benefits. What's the point?
1: Yeah, I mean, the association did help get some changes through that actually supported the bigger breweries, and they tried this year to like get the hours changed. I mean, they every year they try to do that, and it essentially just gets shot down. Yeah. So. They're trying to do stuff for us little guys. It's just almost impossible for them. Yeah. They're fighting a serious uphill battle. battle. No. No, no. I yeah. Just, I do I wasn't psyched that they raised our fees. But so since they raised our fees to cover the cost of the lobbyists, and then they ended up helping get some rules changed that allowed like, Big Sky to get a tap room and some of these other bigger places, there was a 10,000-barrel limit that if you brood over that, you cannot have a tap room. Well, they were able to get that pushed to 60,000. So, Big Sky was able to add a tap room and help the kettle house with some of their stuff because they are reaching capacity. And Bayern was, he was brewing right at 9,999 yeah. barrels. And so, this has allowed him to also do some stuff. So, it, it's helped the bigger ones. The, yeah. It's Hopefully tough. eventually yeah. it will trickle down to us little guys. Yeah. Mean, we do five hundred barrels a year. Yeah, yeah. Compared to their over ten thousand. I mean we're like
0: yeah.
1: a drop in the bucket compared to what they do. Yeah. It's so funny that you know, you go up state to state
0: and every single state has to be fighting this battle. Uh, I think that's so uh I think that's upsetting. I think it's weird. But at the same time, you know, you can't let the federal government take care of it and who knows what the fuck they're trying to do. So
1: Well, the federal, they did come through with something that lowered our federal excess tax by quite a bit. So that something was done at the federal level from the Brewer's Association. Yeah, that that helped. But with all that said, I mean, we're still doing great. Yeah. Missoula is an amazing beer town.
0: Yeah, what I saw here as I pulled in, you guys got a big patio, got lots of space. It's a big old building. Has this been your main? This is your only facility? I imagine your brewery, brewery, somewhere behind one of these walls.
1: Just on the other side of that wall, right yeah. there, we're sitting behind. How how big is the uh, the brew house?
0: in terms of barrels? I mean,
1: you said 500 barrels a year, so you brew in 10 barrels at a time, or what? We have a 10-barrel system.
0: Okay. So you brew once a week or something. We just, just this
1: last year, upgraded from a
0: 5 to 10-barrel. Okay. We're about to dive into the beer stuff right after this, but first, a quick little plug for the Patreon. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to get access to more episodes, go to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone. There, you can become a patron and get access to twice as many episodes, and I'll even give you a shout-out during the show credits. There's also perks and swag to be had, so check it out. Patreon.com/slash Speaking of shout-outs, I'd like to shout out to Evil Shenanigans 1937 and AeroSytos for their iTunes reviews of this podcast. Your ratings and feedback help spread this show to more listeners, and I really appreciate that. I am drinking the uh, the Belgian Sour, which I heard from Colin downstairs, is a uh, blend of a barrel-aged Belgian Strongia brood, and was it a, a cherry sour or something of some kind that he said? I'm digging it. So
1: it was a, a berry um, kettle sour. Okay. So I took the kettle sour and mixed it with our barrel-aged. We had We only had one red wine barrel that we had that Belgian in, so. you definitely taste the taste the barrel just a hint of it definitely
0: taste the kettle souring it's I think blending is lost art I don't know would you agree yeah
1: I think so I mean, we haven't had to blend too much mm-hmm. but for this one it came out a little tarter out of the barrel than we expected and it's all a giant experiment just to yeah sat for nine months and just put it in there and let it go and see what happens yeah and we didn't add any extra bacteria or anything like that. It just did it on its own. Yeah, we have four flagships. Start out with a cream ale, a pale ale, a porter, and then an IPA. Our cream ale, we're trying to give folks a lighter option. It's less hoppy. It's got lower alcohol because a lot of our stuff is pretty high. So we gave folks just an option, a different option to. Drinking something heavier. Pales, everyone's gotta do a pale. It's, it's in between your super bitter IPAs and your not really hoppy creamels. Pale kind of fell into that mid range. Porter wanted to do at least one dark beer that we had all the time, and it's actually pretty popular around here. People drink that all year round. It, it's some folks' go-to beer in the middle of the summer, which is kind of interesting to me. I'm, a, I'm an IPA guy myself, and our Grapeburn IPA is our signature beer. So that's been our number one selling beer since we opened the door, by hands, far above everything else. Our, our porter, it's a smoked porter, so it's got kind of a, a peat-smoked malt, and that kind of fell in with the whole fire theme. It's kind of where we went with that. It's got a little campfire taste to it, so it kind of reminds you of the outdoors and the fire and smoke. And
0: so why did you choose to have four flagship beers? This is probably more of a business type decision. A
1: lot
0: of breweries I go to, they might have six or eight, so they'll have one menu side full of flagships they always have, and one, one menu side full of just the seasonals or whatever they want to change. Some breweries I go to have one flagship, some breweries have none. Did you, choose, did you think part about choosing four as your flagship number?
1: Well, part of this is that my brother had brewed at a place called Blacksmith. It's down the Bitterroot, it's south of here. And I just think from his experience being there, that those are the four beers that he saw as being the most popular. And those are all recipes that he had created. He, he helped get that place started. He wasn't an, an owner. He essentially designed all of their recipes. And so... He knew which ones did well there. And so we modeled it off of that. And he also like loves doing specialty stuff. He likes to experiment. So he was psyched to like, still have six other beers that he could do all sorts of stuff with. And those those four end up being like our top sellers.
0: Would you ever consider changing your flagships if perhaps one of your other like, seasonals took off for a month and was really selling like, gangbusters?
1: We have a Coconut Brown. It's an English Brown Ale aged with coconut and that's become so popular that we've actually thought about turning that into the flagship and making the porter uh seasonal i think it could be done right now we just got to commit to it that one's been so popular that we need to have it on all the time people are seeking that out more than porters really yeah. and it's, and it's a dark it's a still a dark beer but it's kind of on the lighter side and yeah the, well nowadays I mean, everyone's a lot of people are gravitating toward the spiked seltzers. Yeah, I've seen those. Those are are really popular. Yeah. And so they, if you're trying to diet, I guess it's, Yeah, it's water. (laughs) Yeah. As long as they don't put a ton of sugar in it. You can Uh, still have alcohol and mostly be drinking water. Yeah. No, they're really popular out here. Actually, Big Sky Brewing has a whole line of those kind of spike seltzer things that they just came out with because they saw that their cells like that white claw put a huge dent in it so they're like well we're just going to do this too so somehow they figured out how to make that malt beverage to go in yeah, it you, you think
0: that kind of thing would butt against some state law you know
1: well in Montana you got to have like either 60 or 70 percent grains as your base mm. yeah. and so somehow they figured out how to brew that malt beverage mm-hmm. okay. from some sort of grain Well, it's taken five years to really develop a good
0: clientele.
1: I mean, we have—I saw. Did you see the mugs on the wall? I
0: did. I saw the mug club. Yeah, so
1: we have a mug club, and those are our number one supporters. Those folks are here almost daily. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they are our regulars. We give them a great discount, but. A lot of those folks like bought the mugs before we were even open. They were totally psyched to see a brewery coming to this side of town because there's no other breweries over here on what we call the south side. So we really, we serve the neighborhood as kind of a niche brewery. And a lot of folks, they don't want to go to a bar or that, so they like to come here. and Yeah.
0: They, How much does the mug mug, join? 150
1: They get a daily um, discount of a dollar off their first ones and then they pay $3 for our flagships.
0: Oh, wow. That's great and
1: so it's $4 yeah. for regular customers. Yeah. And so our specialties are $5. We throw a big party in the fall. It's a mud club celebration. We send all our spent grains to the local high school and they feed their pigs and cattle with it. Oh, yeah. And in return, they give us a pig. And oh, so no. we have a pig roast as part of our party and we essentially feed everyone. We have a big. We move everything out in the parking lot. We have a bouncy house for the kids, and we get a band, and they play out on the patio. And we feed everyone, and we throw them a few free beers, and so they they get a giant party out of it.
0: I'm used to brewers giving away their grain to farmers, or you know, you know, whatever pig farmer, whatever cattle farmer. Did not expect to say high
1: school. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh wow, right on. Yeah, Yeah. Ag is pretty serious in Montana. Yeah. It's oh, important. Yes, that's so, that's important. Every brewery oh, in, in Missoula has somebody that takes their stuff. There's not eat grain, spent grains that go to waste in this town.
0: That's good. What's your favorite beer of all time? Maybe not your favorite beer ever, but perhaps the one that turned you into a man you are
1: in Yeah, it's probably BCR Nevada. Yeah, I drank a lot of that. That's not a very exciting answer because I already talked about it earlier. But. What's
0: your favorite beer that you have here?
1: I would say our Vapor and IPA. Yeah, flagship IPA? Yeah, All I right. gravitate toward IPAs every time.
0: Yeah, you're the IPA. That's,
1: yeah. that's how I like, when I go to a new brewery, I'm like, I gotta try their IPA. Was like, yeah, like, I gotta get an IPA, I like it.
0: What are your three most inspirational breweries?
1: Uh, the, the three you're modeling, you,
0: you model after, or the ones you just sort of wish you were, or maybe just your favorite breweries. Into.
1: Oh, boy. Um, my brother came from Stone, but I've always thought, Stone Brewing did an amazing job. When he lived in San Diego, we'd go and visit. And so I okay. had a chance to see what they got going on. And they make killer IPAs, and that's, that's what my brother does, because he learned from them. Okay. Stone Brewing yeah. one. What's the second one? Uh, Blackfoot Brewing in Helena. Their IPA is like... I think, one of the best in the state. And they, they've kind of kept to their roots. They've been around for a while, but they don't can. I know they, they do distribute kegs, and they have, like, an amazing tap room, but they've kind of remained small like we are, and they've never really grown to, like, mass-push their product. They're just really good guys over there, and they just... I haven't ever had a beer from them that I didn't think was absolutely amazing. I guess Big Sky, they kind of... They kind of paved the way for us here in Montana. Yeah, they were they were one of the first ones in Missoula, and they've grown to now distribute like across the whole West and probably even further than that. So yeah. I know the owners personally. We play hockey together and stuff. And actually, our Great Bear Hockey Team and the Big Sky Hockey Team have a pretty good rivalry, but they're good guys and you know they've. They've kind of led the way on what us little guys should be striving to do.
0: Of those three breweries, which one would you marry, which <laughs> what? one would you bang, and which would you kill? Have so No. You this game
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'd have to marry Big Sky because we're so close already. Kill Stone they're in California. <laughs> I like California, but still, it's California. I guess uh, I would be banging (laughs) Blackfoot. They got a cool name, you know. (laughs) I'm Greg, and one of the co-owners of Graper Embroidery, and you're in Missoula, Montana. Stop by and check out our beers. Great,
0: thank you so much, Greg. You've got, let's grab a beer right now. Yeah, definitely. You heard him. That was Greg Howard of Great Burn Brewery. If you're ever in Missoula, definitely check them out. Washington Beer Talk is possible because of Patreon.com. We post one episode every other week, but if you like the podcast, you can have access to an episode every week, exclusive only to Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash to gain access to more episodes, cycling Cicerone swag, and all kinds of other neat perks. Are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.